We want to find the perfect words that will truly express our sincere condolences, but we fumble, overthink it, maybe avoid that awkward moment altogether. Joyce Aitken is no stranger to grief after a tragic loss left her alone and in need of comfort from those around her. Sincere Condolences is a must-read, a practical guide for what to say when you don't know what to say. On this episode of the Executor Help Podcast. Welcome to the Executor Help Podcast, the show dedicated to help you settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, visit davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me today is the author, Joyce Aitken. She has written a great book, Sincere Condolences, What to Say When You Don't Know What to Say. Joyce, I want to thank you for being here on the Executor Help podcast. You know, when it comes to grief, and, and I've been through it when I lost both my parents, it's not something that you you actually know how to handle. You don't know how to, to get through it. And for a lot of people, they really don't, they seem uncomfortable when it comes to when the grief hits and also how to, you know, talk to somebody about it. Now, your book's based on a, an unexpected, tragic, out-of-time, uh, life-altering loss. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that. Why, what compelled you to write the book? Well, thanks, David. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm passionate about talking about grief and helping people to get a, just have a bit more um, uh, confidence in, in their own uh responding to other people's grief and just to be more comfortable with it. Uh, So I guess I would say that up until a few years ago, I was like most people in that um, I was very uncomfortable with grief. Of course, you know, we all know how to respond when someone's uh, elderly grandparent has passed away after a long, wonderful life. And, uh, you know, those are, are losses that people certainly grieve. Um, but we know that people don't live forever and um, it's easy to find comforting words in those types of situations. And that's what most of the loss that I had experienced in my life was. It was in the category of what I would call natural losses. But uh, six years ago, my husband um, died by suicide at the age of 56. And it was just... Uh, a huge, huge, devastating shock to our family, our friends, our community. My husband suffered from high-functioning depression. We did not realize that at the time. His depression was, um, he kept all of his anguish to himself. When people saw him, they saw this guy with just this huge grin all the time and a really quick, cheerful wit. And he was just literally the last person you could ever imagine that this would happen to. Uh, Most people, when they heard of his death, just simply could not believe it and thought that people had gotten their wires crossed somehow with that message. So we were just so, so unprepared for his passing. And um, it became really apparent that how much people struggle with being able to reach out and provide uh, comfort and condolences to people who are in in that type of grief. And, you know, people are just so kind. They want to be able to help. They want to do something. Everybody wants to do something. But uh, I find most people, we tend to err on the side of omission. We're so afraid that we might say or do the wrong thing. We don't want to make the situation worse. We're so afraid of doing or saying the wrong thing that lots of times people just don't say anything. 
And uh, so really, that's where the book came from. It was out of that experience that I realized that there needs to be sort of a, a guide for people on what they can do. There's just so much that people can do to, um, you know, assist at a time like that. And, and while it is written from the perspective of someone that's experienced, you know, tragic, unexpected loss, I mean, grief is grief. And, and when people are grieving, it doesn't matter what the nature of the loss is. There, there is a lot that people can do. And I, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time right now, you know, as we come out of COVID, we're all starting to feel really um, thankful of, that restrictions are being lifted and we can sort of go about getting back to a bit more normalcy in our lives. And it's very, very easy for us to forget that there are people who have suffered a huge amount of loss during this time. And so, you know, studies have shown us that on average, we remember that people are in mourning for about three months. And, um, you know, after that, it's not that we're not sympathetic to people's uh, mourning and their grieving, but uh, we just forget about it. It's so easy to forget. And my fear is that at this time when we're all just being um, very happy to be start doing more things, that we're forgetting about the people who have experienced so much loss during this time. I mean, it's been an unprecedented time really yeah. that we've all experienced, right? And so I think it really is time for us to just, you know, lean into harness and harnessing all of our empathy and, uh, and, and, and acknowledging the losses that people have had. That's the big thing, acknowledging them. Where do you think this, this uncomfortable feeling comes from when it comes to grief? You know, because you, you, you don't want to say the wrong thing, but then again, you don't want to make it about you. It's interesting, David. You know, we've kind of gone backwards. We think we're such a progressive society, but we've kind of gone backwards in terms of grief and how we deal with it. So, you know, 100 years ago, no one would have needed to write a book or read a book about grief. So 100 years ago, you know, if you had a family member, <clears throat> excuse me, that was dying, they likely would have been dying in, in, in the home, one of the homes of their family, and they would have been being cared for by family members. And um, so, you know, we fast forward that to today. We do, um, you know, our dying has become sanitized in a way. Um, most of our dying is done in institutions and people are cared for by professionals. And um, often the family is, you know, maybe not even there for, for, for a lot of the dying process until the very last. And uh, so as a result, we've become really uh, pretty uncomfortable with death and, and loss. I mean, my mom tells a story um, of her grandmother who lived with them. And this is on a farm in rural Saskatchewan. And when her grandmother died, and, and she had been living with them for some time, and, and she died in their home, and she was sort of laid out in the casket on their dining room table for a few days while they had awake Irish folks. And, um, you know, the kids were really completely comfortable with playing around the table legs in the dining room and, and such with, you know, with grandma there. You know, that is quite a different situation from the way that we, we view things now, right? You know, now we're sort of spread out all over. And we used to have much smaller communities. And so everyone in the community was aware of a loss when it occurred in a community. And everyone was able to be supportive. 
And now, you know, we sort of live all over the globe and it's completely possible that uh, someone can have a, a loss in their nuclear family and, and no one even knows about it or very few people know about it, you know? Right. So we've, we've just become more distanced with, you know, with death and loss. We, we aren't faced with it right up close and personal until it happens to us. And so as a result, we are, um, you know, we're a little bit, we're, we're very uncomfortable with it for the most part. You know, another thing that, that uh, really strikes me is that I think we've done a bit of a disservice to our children at this, this as well. Um, you know, over the years, we've tended to um, shelter our children from grief. Mm-hmm. And of course, we do this out of, of caring and love for our children. And we don't want them to be exposed to really, really difficult things. And so we've tended to shelter them. Not everyone. Lots of people have done a wonderful job with this. I don't want to totally broad brush it. But there has been a bit of a tendency to do that. And, and by, you know, not giving kids a seat at the table when it comes to grief, we don't give them the skills that they need to have as they go through their life. Because grief is something that we are all going to experience many, many times. And so we need to develop some skills for, for dealing with that. And that's not something our ancestors did. You know, in uh, ancestral times, everyone was part of the grief process. And so I, I just think that we can do a little bit better with that uh, than what we have been. Is that because that families don't have those conversations? That's why they don't, a lot of families don't have wills, or if they do have a will, they don't have the conversations of that this that this event will happen inevitably and they haven't prepared the next generation for the grief that could come because there is going to be, but they haven't prepared. They haven't had the conversations. Is it a lack of conversations that a lot of times you'll find uh, families traumatized and in chaos? I believe that it is. I think that we do live in a a grief denial culture and that, you know, speaks to why people don't uh, discuss their wishes. They don't, properly prepare and and they don't discuss with their families all of these things there's sort of this like well if we don't talk about it it'll never happen you know and so it it takes a, a personal experience before you know people actually um and, and i mean let's face it no one likes to talk about grief no one likes to talk about death these are tough subjects and uh you know they we're uncomfortable with them but but the more we learn to enter into those kinds of conversations and the more we develop those skills, the better we are at being able to deal with those things when they do come up and to provide that support to others. Now, I know in your book in, uh, on page nine, you have some book descriptions of grief. Maybe you want to talk a little bit about that? Referring to the section where I talk about uh, what, what grief is actually like. Yes. That um, Would you like me to read that? Yes, please. Yeah, grief is like a shipwreck. I wish I'd written this myself. I, I certainly didn't, but it's it's been floating around the internet for some time and uh, credited to some elderly wise gentleman. And, and it is pretty brilliant in my mind. It, it's just a perfect description of grief. So it says grief is like a shipwreck. When the ship is first wrecked, you're drowning with wreckage all around you. Everything floating around you reminds you of the beauty and magnificence of the ship that was and is no more. All you can do is float. 
you find some piece of wreckage and you hang on for a while. Maybe it's some physical thing. Maybe it's a happy memory or a photograph. Maybe it's another person who's also floating. For a while, all you can do is float, stay alive. In other words, just hang on. In the beginning, the waves are 100 feet tall and crash over you without mercy. They come 10 seconds apart and don't even give you time to catch your breath. All you can do is hang on and float. After a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, you'll find the waves are still 100 feet tall, but they come further apart. When, when they come, they still crash all over you and wipe you out. But in between, you can breathe. You can start to function. You never know what's going to trigger the grief. It might be a song, a picture, street intersection, the smell of a cup of coffee. It can be anything, and the wave comes crashing. But in between waves, eventually, there's life. Somewhere down the line, and it's different for everyone, you find that the waves are only 80 feet tall, or maybe 50 feet tall. And while they still come, they come further apart. You can see them coming. An anniversary, a birthday, Christmas, or landing at Heathrow. You can see it coming for the most part and prepare yourself. And when it washes over you, you know that somehow you will come out on the other side, soaking wet, sputtering, still holding on to some tiny piece of the wreckage, but you will come out. So, I mean, that is the description. There is always, always going to be waves for people who've experienced profound loss. Yeah, yeah. There always will be waves. Mm-hmm. So when someone is grieving, how do you suggest someone reach out? Well, that, that is the uh, key words, reach out. It is so important for people to just contact people, acknowledge their loss. And I mean, it's so interesting that we are in such a, uh, this uh, social media place that we're at, that we post endless pictures of our food and our vacations and everything else on Facebook. But then when it comes to really important subjects, sometimes we're reluctant to, uh, to actually reach out. Uh, I'm not advocating posting something on Facebook, but certainly reach out however you can do it to people, message them, phone them, stop in, but acknowledge, acknowledge their loss. That is, that is the big thing. You know, when we are grieving, we need to find shelter in order to heal. And that shelter needs to be within the, the comfort of our friends, basically. So, you know, the comfort is in people's presence. Not, it's not necessarily in what they are able to say or do. But just being with us, bearing witness to our loss, that is the most important thing. So what is the right what is the right thing to say? I know in the book you you mentioned and, and when I when I saw some of the quotes or the sayings, I, those are the things you hear all the time. People say, you know, um, they've gone to a better place. Angels. Um, yeah. What as another angel? Uh, yeah. yeah, that sort of thing. It's, it's so, so lucky you had them while you did, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, those are things that are not very helpful. And act, But actually, you know, it's the thing that people worry about the most is, oh, I don't know what to say. I know I need to go and see, um, you know, my friends, but I just don't know what to say. 
And the reality is there's no magic words. There, there really are no words that are going to make, there, not, there are no words that are going to make anything better. We just need people to bear witness with us and, and, and not get hung up on what, what to say. I'm so sorry are the most powerful words. I'm so sorry. And for people to just just say those words, I'm so sorry, and not try to rationalize the loss in any way or try to fix it in any way. There's no fixing it. There's absolutely no fixing it. The worst when when they're trying to fix it, is it be, are, you start, are you starting to make it about you and not about the person you're trying to comfort? Does that kind of happen a lot? Yeah, it does, you know, and I think that's because, again, people are uncomfortable and they're trying to find a common ground, right? And so it may be that the only thing that they can come up with is, oh, I know how you feel because when my cat died last year, I was devastated. Exactly. And, yes. And so, you know, those sorts of, and, and now without a doubt, the person may have been devastated when a cat passed away. I mean, we talk about, you know, pet grief is also very significant. And it's sort of a bit of a disenfranchised grief because people who don't have pets don't necessarily understand that. But there's absolutely no point to compare griefs at all. There's that expression, and I don't know who came up with it, that said the worst grief in the world is your own. And that's absolutely true. And even if you had another situation that was very, very similar, it doesn't mean that your grief is the same. We all grieve in different ways. Our relationships are all different. Um, and so there's no point to try to compare or to try to, um, you know, make any, any of those, fix it in any way like that. So, you know, it, it's, it's just that it's just, you know, being with a person and, and we're kind of uncomfortable with that, you know, we're, we are in a society where we want to fix things, you know, we want to fix we're fixers and it's hard for us just to uh sit and say especially because of this situation so having you're 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 saying the things that you're sorry and you you do mean it sincerely but then what are some of the other ways that you can bring comfort to the individual help them you know there's there's lots of things that people can do and um you know i think when my husband passed, so many people said to me, oh, if there's anything I can do, let me know. Just let me know if there's anything I can do. Everyone says that all the time, you know. And I always say, you know, that's lovely. And I, that those were very well-intentioned remarks right. that people made. But when you're grieving, you're already so, so vulnerable. You, you, it's very hard to reach out and say, you know, I really, what I really need is somebody to mow my grass, you know? Um, so I always say if people can just look at what might the person need, because the other thing that happens when people are in intense grief is they, they have no idea what they, they can't anticipate what they even need. Yeah. You know, um, they, they don't know if they need to get milk or whatever. They just have no idea. Your whole, your whole, and I liken it back. I've never felt the, the amount of pain and I've lost my, I lost my parents within a year of each other. And it's just like, it, it's like the world had, had slowed down and I don't know what's going on. It's, it's, and I feel my life has changed. It's, it's altered. I might've been going straight, but now it's slightly going to the left or right. It's things aren't the same anymore. Uh, I mean, I miss their voices every day and, but it's just, life is just not the same. 
And when you're going through that, that first uh, initial set of grief, it, it's, it's indescribable. It, you, you, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. You don't know, you know, I forgot to get milk or, or, yeah. you know, maybe the grass needs to be mowed or, or you know. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So I always say to people, you know, look at what you might be able to do and even just pick one thing that you could do. And instead of saying, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know, say, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I pick up some things for you? Can you give me a list? Or I'm going to the pharmacy. Or can I drive your kids to soccer on Tuesdays for the you know near future kind of thing? Um, you know, pick a thing and and try to do it. And then you know if the, the but is there also a balance uh, I, I, where you could be seen as being a little intrusive? That maybe because you are grieving. And then you've got this person, I, I want to help you. I want to, I want to drive the kids. I want to bring you the milk. I want to get do your groceries. How do you, you don't want to be intrusive and yet you still want to give comfort. What, yes. what, it, it's a fine, it's a fine line. It is. I hear what you're saying and people don't want to step over that line and, and be intrusive. But I think that by saying, because we are in this space where we're just in this altered universe where we have no idea yeah what we need. We have no idea about anything when we're in intense grief. I think that it's easier for the people to then say, you know, no, it's okay. I'm all, I don't need that. Thank you very much for the offer, but I, that's okay. That's all right. I, I think that, that it gives people the opportunity to do that. Um, and I, don't think that there's many, very many cases where people saying, I'm just going to come and shovel your snow and where you're going to say, oh, no, that's so intrusive. I don't want that. You know, uh, chances are I don't even know that my driveway is blocked because I don't even have the capacity to figure that out for myself. You know, yeah. so, no, I think it's worthwhile, very worthwhile for people to step and see if they can do one thing, one thing for somebody, you know. And then um, I always say food is so universally helpful for everyone all the time. We're so socialized around food. And, um, and food, I mean, we eat in good times, we eat in bad times, we eat for all kinds of occasions, right? And um, I, I know for myself, my husband and I, you know, we had very busy careers, both of us, and, uh, but we enjoyed sharing our day with each other at our evening meal. And um, I mean, my husband's been gone for six years. I still cannot sit at my dining room table and eat a meal. That's a huge grief trigger for me. Right. So I can when I have company, but when I'm on my own, I never, I never do that. I tend to sit at my counter, or I confess, even in front of my television. But it's just a huge grief trigger, right? So food, anything to do with food, it just seems like it goes on for such a long time. And so if people can, you know, provide food, if people can invite someone to have a meal with them, if they can, yeah, anything around food, that's so, so helpful. And, you know, that goes on for a long, long time. It, it you know, we have to adapt to grief. It's an adaptation in our life, right? It's a huge adaptation. It doesn't, Absolutely. grief doesn't go away. We don't get over it. When, when the loss is, is, a very profound loss that's out of time, unexpected, that sort of thing. We never get over that. We don't, we're not going to stay in intense grief forever. Of course, we're not going to, we would never be able, we wouldn't be able to survive that. But that grief will always, always be there. And that getting to a point where we, uh, 
it becomes an adaptation is a much longer process than what most people realize, you know? So I guess if there was one thing I was going to say for people to remember is that grieving is a long, long process and to be really, really helpful to people, you know, keep checking in with them, you know, see how they're doing, you know, three months later, six months later, a year, their grief will still be very fresh to them a year after. Well, let me ask you, in in your case, it's six Mm. years later, do people still check in on, on you? Oh, I'm incredibly lucky that I have a very good network of uh, very compassionate uh, people in my life. And they do, you know, and, uh, and, 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 I and they don't, of- you don't feel that they're at any point they've been intrusive and you just appreciate because they, they know mm-hmm. the right things to say, or they do the right things. Is it about doing something or is it about saying something, which is going to bring you the most comfort six years later? I would say just acknowledging it, acknowledging it, you know, and so I feel free to say to them, so we have this, you know, we have this societal pressure to get back to normal, whatever that is, you know, just get back to normal and, you know, get on with your life sort of thing. And uh, I mean, that comes from a a number of of areas. And so in Canada, here in, in Canada, our labor laws um, read that people must have, three consecutive days off for bereavement leave, three consecutive days off, not even three work days, three consecutive days off. So it, say if your spouse died on a Thursday, well, you can have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you should be back to work on Monday. Absolutely. So, that makes sense. Yeah. You should be able to pack that all in and get totally. back to work. Yeah. yeah. That makes so, sense. You know, and I mean, most collective agreements have, you know, better, um, uh, benefits than that in place. But but the messaging is pretty clear that grief is something that we need to get over and get over in a hurry. And we need to get back to normal, whatever that is. And and really, the, your normal is not the same. After you've had a profound loss, you're, you have a new normal now. And it's getting used to that new normal, you know, that that takes such a long time. And, you know, that's another point you said, what can people do to, to be compassionate and to comfort people? Distraction is a huge thing. It's a huge thing. I just remember being for probably, uh, probably at least two years being in a spot where I didn't recognize my life at all. I, I did not recognize it. I didn't know when I would ever, ever start to feel like any kind of a day was normal. It just was so foreign to me. And, you know, during that time, you still, you have to put in the time. You have to, you just have to put in time. It has to just go by and go by and go by. And so how do you do that? And so people providing you with any distraction whatsoever is so wonderful. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be anything. I mean, come and watch me paint my deck. Okay, that works for me. It's something to take me out of my headspace that I'm in and just just be with somebody else, do anything just to put that time in until eventually you do start to adapt to what is your new normal and can kind of get on with more things yourself. But distraction is huge. So to wrap it up, if you could, if someone's either going to go through you know, helping to be a support to someone because they're grieving. Is there three things you would say that they should try to do 
to to uh, bring comfort and also not be afraid of of the uh, of the situation well the first one and absolutely the key word is acknowledge acknowledge the loss acknowledge the loss and no matter what the situation is acknowledge the loss you know if when we don't acknowledge someone's loss it puts that that grieving person in this really awkward spot of they 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 don't even know how to have a conversation because there's this huge, huge elephant in the room, right? So when people come back to a workplace, when you see somebody for the first time, and these can be even, you know, quite distant people that you have very, very peripheral relationships with, when you see them for the first time is acknowledge that loss always. Um, You know, uh, if this is somebody that's present in your life that you really want to help, just pick a thing to do, pick something that you could offer to them, you know, um, you know, just a thing to do. And um, don't wait for them to say to you, oh, I really could use help with this because they probably won't. Um, and again, check back with them, check back with them, keep, keep checking in and saying, you know, how are you doing? Yeah, I know it's been six months, but how, how are your days going? Is there anything that that you're struggling with or yeah just checking back and acknowledging that you do, you know that they're still you know that they're still struggling and that you don't expect that they've just gotten miraculously better wow you, you've given a lot of uh food for thought and, and you probably helped a lot of people listening in terms of how to prepare for this situation happening and it's, it's all going to happen to all of us whether us personally or we're going to come across people that are going to be going through the, the grief process. Uh, Joyce Aitken, I'd like to thank you for being here on the Executive Health Podcast. You're the um, author of Sincere Condolences, What to Say When You Don't Know What to Say. If people want to find more, um, you know, get the book or find out a little bit more about you to get in contact with you, how would they do that? My website is the best, sincerecondolences.ca. And so all my contact information is on there. My book is available on a number of platforms, Amazon, Kobo, all of those things. Um, if people want a physical book, uh, and all those things, or they can contact me directly. I'll put books in the mail to anyone. And uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, uh, David. It's been a real pleasure to be here. Um, as I, I said, I, I'm you. talking about grief and I think about the, the words of Maya Angelou. She said, do the best that you can until you know better. And once you know better, do better. And I think that really applies to how we deal with um, grief and how we deal with uh, responding to other people's grief. We can, we can always do better. So thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Executor Help Podcast. For more details, visit davidedy.com or follow David on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. 